Hey guys, how's it going? James Hughes here, co-host producer of the Grinding for Greatness podcast. Today we have another fantastic episode with another fantastic guest, Megan Dother. She is the author of the Reluctant Presenter um, book, as well as um, president, CEO, founder of Portico PR, a communication training, coaching, and design firm that works with law firms, private equity, as well as Fortune 500 companies. Megan, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, James. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Your time is very important. And I tell you one thing, when we were looking for guests and your name came across, I knew you were perfect for our audience. So one thing that you have going on is you're at where a lot of us are wanting to get to. So working with Fortune 500s, being president, CEO, and more or less the the domineer, the pretty much dominating your space and where you are, right? So I thought there's a lot of parallels that we can talk about with your journey to where you are now, that maybe there are some pitfalls, maybe there are some little things that you've learned along the way that if you were told this a long time ago, it could have avoided a lot. So just to get started, let's go ahead and go back to when maybe you weren't quite at this scale yet. You were mm -hmm. just trying to decide, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? I don't know what age this was. I don't know where you were at that point, but at some point, you wanted to make that bet on yourself. Let's go back to that point and kind of familiarize ourselves with where you were then. Okay, great. So I had um, I had worked in corporate communications and PR agencies for most of my career, and I loved the challenge of that work, especially because I did crisis PR. So people are always screwing up everywhere. So it's very fast paced to be creative and scrappy. But I got to a point in my career where I was simply exhausted and there was a level of stress that was beginning to affect my health. And so I thought, what do I do? I'm running comms at a Fortune 500 company and this isn't where I want to be. And so I stepped back and I took a break and I ended up working with one of our vendors and really enjoyed the sales process of it. But I thought, this isn't something I can do long term. But as I went to go interview with different companies, I had that like just sick pit feeling in my stomach. And I thought, I can't do this again. I can't work these crazy hours. And I just knew my personality was changing. And so I decided to go out on my own. Um, and I really got fascinated by presentation training. And I have to say, at no point in my childhood, education, early in my career, did I have any desire to start a business. I am risk averse. I'm a rule follower. And, but I found that I wasn't, finding the right place for me. So cr I created a space to help solve a problem that I struggled with throughout my career. And that was giving presentations and speaking up. And two things that are so vitally important there, you're talking about burnout. That's one thing that we've hit on the show. I don't know how many times identifying when you get to that point of burnout and knowing how to start to transverse a little bit when those emotions come on. Because one thing that we mention all the time, when you're feeling burnout, You've been burnt out for a long time before that point. And so one thing that's excellent that you're talking about too is when you felt that burnout, when you were going to make that switch, you had enough identification within yourself to know what you were feeling. So you, you knew your strong suits, you knew those, those points where you kind of didn't want to go again, but you were able to turn that into yourself and project in the future, you knew you were changing. So you weren't just going to go back to doing what you knew you were going to do. You weren't just going to grind for the sake of grinding. You were mm -hmm. going to find a way to implement a change for the positive with that, with that going forward. So now that you've started to identify that in yourself and 
you know, entrepreneurship, it's all about breaking the rules. You create your own rule and then you break it. And then you create a new rule from that as you grow and as you scale. So I'm sure it was terrifying for you to uh, make that jump on yourself, um, especially being in that corporate world that is very, very structured and um, very much wants to give you that organization. And now you're stepping out into your own world where you have to create your organization and you have to create your own structure. Let's talk a little bit about that process and how knowing what you were wanting kind of helped um, lay the foundation for um, you moving forward. So the when you... Big point about the trusting your own gut and intuition. I think it becomes easier the older you get. And what I was gravitating to was once I learned how to help people get over their presentations, and I I did it as a you know volunteer. I would ask family and friends like, "Hey, do you have a presentation to work on?" You know, that was a place where I, I truly got in the zone, and I lost track of time, and I became so immersed in understanding why presentations are so difficult. And what I found is that all of the things that I feared the most, being in that relatively safe corporate environment, the opposite was true when I was on my own. And so an example of that might be, um, you know, there are mergers and acquisitions all the time and there are layoffs and consultancies will come up and, you know, write positions out. So there's always that threat that you could lose their job. And I think we've seen now there's not a lot of loyalty to employees, there's a lot of changing. But I found that, so you're really in some way higher risk when you have everything anchored to that one salary. Whereas the more clients that I started working on, I felt like I was spreading my risk. So if I lost one client or they didn't have funds or didn't work, you know, I wasn't going to be out on the streets. I was still going to be able to pay the the mortgage or the rent. Um, So that was one thing in terms of spreading your risk a little bit more. The other thing that I have found that has been so amazingly uh, different from from just a mindset about being on your own is how much people want to help you. Um, I, I feel like when you're on the corporate corporate side, you're all, you're playing defense a lot. There's a lot of reasons people will say no to an idea, but when you're out on your own, there's a lot of people who have done it already and they want to help you. Um, and so when I think back, you know what I would do differently is, and I continue to have that conversation with myself and my colleagues today is. Get out there and talk to people. Um, if you have a great idea, do the research, but then bounce it off of people and get their input and be open to hearing what you say, um, hearing what they want to say. Exactly. Because I know the one thing that we talk about a lot is you're a product of your five friends, right? So you're a product of who you surround yourself with. That network, that network, that network is important, especially when you're trying to grow, when you're starting out as an individual. When you're working as a team, when you're sharing those ideas collectively, you can be something bigger than any one person could be on their own. You know, the whole expression, it takes a village to raise a child kind of thing. Well, your business idea is that child. You're going to need more than just yourself to help nourish that. And like you were saying, if you're able to find someone who's done it before, someone who's already gone through some of those pitfalls, talk with them and see if you can streamline your process just a little bit more. Um so as you're as you're looking to diversify, I know you were talking about um, you would just ask everyone to help them with their speech. Is that more or less how you started the marketing aspect of growing your business? Um, just putting yourself out there and just constantly putting yourself out, not worrying about failure or a no or a setback, because you know that's just helping shape what you need to do moving forward. Because you're learning what works and what doesn't. Absolutely, and everything has been referral based since then. I think you know I, I had that realization of coaching a couple of people. 
And then I thought, in order to have any credibility whatsoever, I need to figure out if I can give a presentation because it was something I struggled with quite a bit throughout my, <laughs> my career, which is odd given that I was in communication. Uh, so I, I gave a workshop at a local library and I sent out an evite, you know, it was about 10 years ago now. And a couple of people showed up and I will forever be grateful for those friends and family who showed up for that first uh, presentation. When I was so nervous. I even, my voice quivers just thinking about it now. But interestingly, the people who I sent it to at the last minute thinking, eh, maybe they want to go, were the people I didn't know as well. And I started to get notes and, and phone calls saying, hey, I couldn't make it to your event, but can you come in and talk to my company? How much would you charge? And so the first year or 18 months was really figuring out, okay, what's the right length of a workshop? Can you transform speakers with a one-off workshop or do you need coaching? And then calling clients back over and over again saying, did you see any change in the speakers? And so I relied heavily and I still rely on clients to figure out what's the best delivery model, what's the pacing, how do you bring in managers, because it is a village and it takes a village to create a presentation and, and talk about workplace communications. Um, so that was the, the early age of how it started, just getting over that initial fear. And once I held a room and saw that people got value of it, it became an, an addiction slash obsession. And I, I love that. Perfect. And I mean, and that's the only way to keep it growing too, because the moment you stop applying that, that, you know, nourishment is the moment it's going to stop growing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, you know, just to kind of continue with that metaphor, one thing that you were saying beautifully, you, the people that you weren't expecting, the people that you weren't connected to the, so the ones that you were uncomfortable with were the ones that ultimately kind of springboarded a lot of the progression in that sense that put you a lot in that uncomfortable zone, put you a lot in that area for things to be able to grow because nothing grows in the comfort zone except for complacency. So by being able to put yourself out there, obviously you were able to grow a little bit more. Speaking of that, that growth and speaking of that as a sapling, the beautiful thing about it, especially as we as entrepreneurs, as we're going out and starting, we have our vision, we know what we want it to be. Well, you can plant that seed in the ground, but you're not going to be able to count how many branches are going to be on that tree. You just don't know. You know, the tree is going to grow. You know, it's going to come up. It's the same thing with that business. You know, you started with the idea that it was going to be those workshops, those one-on-one -on -one big meetings right there. I wouldn't, I would be willing to bet that it wasn't necessarily a part of your business model yet that you would go to other businesses and speak to them. But just like that, you committed to your opportunity. You put things out there, an opportunity that you weren't even aware of was there, came to you and presented it. Now you didn't create that opportunity out of thin air, but you made yourself available for it. And that is a huge thing with entrepreneurship, especially when you're trying to grow. You have to get out of that comfort zone. You have to do those things that make you uneasy and that make you a little bit nervous. And there is that, well, you know, I probably could fail aspect of it. Well, what's really failing? Is failing the business gets shut down or failing you wasted your time? because you don't know exactly what's going to grow from that. And it's never wasting time if you took something away from it that you can grow on and on the next one, kind of modify your system from, from that one. So the importance of communication. So I know one thing that we've been talking a lot about on this show is imposter syndrome. And it hasn't really been a point of conversation. It's just, it just keeps coming up. And it's one of those things that I'm a firm believer, but that if multiple people are bringing up the same thing from different point of views, and they're probably all describing something very similar, 
So imposter syndrome, the more I talk about it, the more I hear people say, I didn't know that was a thing or oh, I can't believe I have that too. So let's go into a little more detail with imposter syndrome, specifically about communication. So someone that you may not be aware is experiencing imposter syndrome. What are some things that you can pick up on that maybe let you know that they're not as confident as they seem, or maybe they're a little bit uneasy. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, people struggle with imposter syndrome, whom you might you the you wouldn't suspect. I think there's a, a stereotype that it is the younger women, you know, particularly in a male-dominated industry, that struggle with it. And I have seen it happens all shapes, sizes, gender identity. Um, you know, wherever you are in the workforce. Um, and the one thing I want to clarify with imposter syndrome is I think it's helpful to differentiate a lack of confidence from imposter syndrome. So I see lack of confidence as somewhat healthy. Um, it's not necessarily a personality trait or a piece of clothing you would wear. It's highly dependent on, do you have a good idea? Do you care about the person you're talking to? And will this idea be of help to them? So those are the three parameters of gauging. Are you confident? Should you be confident? And so if you're not if you're not confident, you might be wondering, what is the audience or what do other people think of me? But if you have the imposter syndrome, that is deeper. That's much more pervasive. That is, I already know what the audience should think of me and I'm a fraud. And it is debilitating because it takes up so much of that mental energy and emotion. And so instead of thinking about what's the right solution or how can I help someone, there's a constant, you know, a, a talk track of saying, stop talking. This doesn't make sense. Does sound stupid. And, you know, I, I have a, a funny anecdote when I was dating my now husband, we were out to dinner one night. And so I was talking to him about this big presentation that I gave. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm glad it went well because I had a crisis of an imposter syndrome the night before. And he said, what, what are you talking about? And I said, imposter syndrome. And so I said it louder because I thought, you know, the, the restaurant was noisy and he had no idea what it was. And so I explained it to him and I was like, it's when you feel like any of your success has, hasn't been earned. And he was like, why, why would you or anyone else be so hard on yourself? And, you know, that's when I realized like the world is in two places. Either you have imposter syndrome or you have no idea what it is. And, you know, he was trained to be a fighter pilot C-17. He was like, we were expected to make mistakes. That was part of it. And I always took from that, that is such a healthy way to think about navigating your way through the world of, of course, you're going to make mistakes, but it doesn't mean you don't wrong. You don't deserve to be in the room. Exactly. And so with those mistakes, you know, it's, just going back to learning from that experience of, of what that is. Um, I know so much of that imposter syndrome, so much of while we're there, it can um, very easily, um, like you were saying, you don't necessarily realize who's, who's having those effects or who's not. You don't necessarily realize if you don't have it, how much energy it, it consumes in your brain. So mm -hmm. not only from that, but it's going to spill over to other areas of your life. You can have these extreme confident areas or you can have these other areas where, you know, you have all the, the affirmation in your brain and all the support system. And then these other areas that are way, way deep below, well, they're going to cycle through and they're going to bleed over at some point. Um, and to, um, I, I did want to jump in when you were talking about what like a telltale sign of it might be. Mm -hmm. If I observe a speaker who is speaking in passive voice or using a lot of jargon or reading from slides, 
that can be an indicator that they're struggling with it because they're using the distant language um, from being fully present. Because if you're con so consumed with those negative emotions, you can't at the same time, when you're taking care of yourself and creating that armor of, of jargon, you can't also be empathetic to your audience. And, and empathetic listening and presence is critical to any connection and communication. So, um, you know, people talk about executive presence being the opposite of imposter syndrome. It, in a way, it is. It's presence. If you're fully ready to be, and there's no place you'd rather be professionally than talking to those people, um, that means you're you're ready to be there and you're not struggling with that that feeling. A perfect place of where fake it till you make it does not work out. Because at that point, faking it where you make it, as you continue to fake it, you're going to become a little more plastic and a little more shallow and a little harder to kind of keep up that artificial armor. That's going to take more energy to have to keep up this whole image and everything. And if you aren't actually there, if you aren't accessing your own secret sauce in this whole operation, it's going to shine through and it's just going to fall apart the whole lubricant to your motor is gone at that point and it's just going to break down. Megan, anything else that you would want to talk about this afternoon? Anything that you think our audience would really be able to pull away from, benefit from, or any pitfalls that you know is just commonly, constantly coming across that not a lot of people are talking about? Um, you know, as, as I think about it, I, I wrote the book in many ways to give to advice that I would give to, to my younger self and, and to other people who are starting the workforce. And, and you know, there's two pieces of I have advice that I think apply to speaking as also, also to starting and running your own company. And one is, you know, it's a different way of saying being customer centric, but the more you can understand your audience and, and talk to them and be ready to listen the easier it's going to be to organize all of the ideas and potential solutions you could provide to them. So talking to them early, often in a respectful way, we don't want to take too much time, but really understanding what is their perspective. That's number one. Two is more of a tactical. The faster you can hear yourself, get to the point of hearing yourself say an idea loud and practice that opening and introductory or where the elevator pitch the better you're going to be in the moment where we get ourselves into trouble as speaker is to think, okay, let me look at notes or slides and I'll review nod, nod, nod. You're never going to figure out the pacing. You're not going to know whether you really sound credible until you hear it yourself. You are the best judge as to whether what you're saying is compelling. So research your audience, get to rehearsing aloud as fast as you can. If you rehearse a talk three times aloud, you'll be ready. Perfect. And so with that book, where can um, the audience find that book if they're interested? You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. We're working to get it into some other bookstores, but you can also, there's a link to it from our website as well. Perfect. So where else can people get a hold of you, follow you if they want to be a part of what you, you know, your movement, your, uh, your action here, where can they get a hold of you and where can they find out more? I'm glad you asked because we are doing more for, we're primarily a B2B business, business to business, but we're doing more to help people directly. So come to porticopr.us. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. We'll be much more active in social. Perhaps we'll even be on TikTok. So <laughs> we will see one day. Everyone just go ahead and jump on TikTok right now and just keep watching. Eventually they may get there. And then that content, you know, is going to be fantastic when they do. For us guys, you know, you can reach us anywhere else. We have new episodes coming out weekly, new guests coming out weekly. John will be back on the podcast. We'll have some good back and forth on that. Catch you next time, guys. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.